0: Behind the Scenes 25. Transmitters? We don't need no stinking transmitters. This is Behind the Scenes. An inside look at what it takes to put together a podcast and make it work. Check it out. Hey, this is Craig Patchett. And yes, this is Behind the Scenes 25. It's only taken 14 months, but we have finally reached number 25. Quality, not quantity, is the slogan here. I've saved a very special interview for this edition of the show, an interview that I did back in December with Rob Walsh of Podcast 411. And you can find Rob's show at Podcast411.com. The number is 411. If you haven't had a chance to check out the show yet, first of all, I'd be surprised because Rob has been around uh, almost as long as behind the scenes. In fact, he did his first show shortly after I did mine, and you'll hear a little bit about that in the interview, but he does an uh, interview format show with other podcasters where he also kind of takes a look behind the scenes at podcasts, but he takes a slightly different approach that ends up looking more at the creative process that's involved in putting together a podcast and podcast 411 makes a great compliment to behind the scenes Uh, it's certainly put out on a more regular basis than behind the scenes Rob is doing two shows a week at the moment and I would highly recommend it so again podcast 411.com and without any further ado let's jump right into the interview Rob, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, and especially for the 25th anniversary, or not the 25th anniversary, but the 25th edition of the show.
1: Well, Craig, it's an honor to be on the show. Thank you for all the help your show has given me over the last year.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll start out by sharing something with you. When I first launched Behind the Scenes, I was trying to figure out what I wanted it to be. Originally, it was going to be kind of a, a journal about how I put together the, the Godcast network from the technical side of it. And then I decided, no, I'm going to make it more general. And then at that time, there were no podcasting podcasts out there and you launched yours and so i was like oh okay well maybe i shouldn't do this show maybe this show is going to be what i was going to do and i i listened to it and at that point your audio was so bad
1: oh it was so bad oh <laughs> it I, was so bad <laughs> that i said
0: okay all right there's there's room for me in here so if you'd have launched your show with the quality of audio you have now behind the scenes may not be yours
1: i was stubborn i was determined to figure out how to make my audio work on my own, and and I listened to what you were saying, and I didn't try it, and I should have, and I was listening to what Adam was saying, and I didn't try it, and I should have, and at the end of the day, I wound up going to the I-River, ultimately, which is what helped. I made a huge mistake in getting, let me grab it here, an Olympus DS 2200 recorder, which I spent 450 bucks on for it and the card, and I was determined to make it work, and it didn't give me the audio quality it claimed to be able to do.
0: Well, I remember one show you were actually holding up an iPod with an iTalk attached to it
1: and oh, that was, recording
0: yeah. recording the Skype side of the conversation off of the speaker on your laptop. I think.
1: Yeah, I tried that on the first show, a second show that was with uh, Chris Rockwell. And, yeah, and that was so bad that show quickly was removed from my portfolio. And will never be ever ever that's be seen too bad. again.
0: Too bad I can't pull a sample of it to put into this. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh, it was it was one of those learning experiences. Like, okay, you never do that again. Yeah. And yeah. then I tried recording inside GarageBand for a few shows, and there was an issue there where I actually lost half of an interview because the interview went so long, GarageBand couldn't handle it. And that's when I realized I had to go outside my computer to record. And that's when I got the Olympus. And that was around the end of. January. And then so in February, I started using that and trying to make that work. And I was getting all these issues and I couldn't figure it out. And finally, um, just from listening for, from Adam raving about the I-River, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go break down and get the I-River. And I did. And that was about show 40 when I plugged it in and it all problems went away. Now, I had bought a lot of other equipment leading up to that. Right. <laughs> a lot of equipment. I got a lot of extra equipment around here.
0: Yeah. And you're not the only one. Let me back up just a second, because I know that a lot of people listening are going to be really disappointed if my first official question isn't, what was your first computer?
1: My first computer was a TRS-80 color computer, the Coco. Okay. With the horrible chiclet keyboards. Oh, <laughs> my fingertips still hurt every time I think about it.
0: What was it that got you into podcasting?
1: I guess it comes down to a couple things. I was one of those people starting out like in 8th or ninth grade where I used to call into the local radio station in the morning. WBAB Bob Buckman in the morning. And I used to call in and it was just a regular caller, so regular that I had a backdoor number to call in. So I didn't have to worry about busy signals whenever I had a joke or a skit I wanted to do. Wow. And when I got to college, I did the same thing at WTUE and shortly I had got their backdoor number. And then after I graduated, I moved to Kansas City and I was doing the same thing with KY102, Max Tana, in the morning and then became Max Tana Moffitt. So I was always this annoying person that always called into the radio station. So I guess I was a, a wannabe DJ. And when podcasting, when I heard about it, I was just like, this is my chance to actually be on the air and do something. And then the hard part came, was thinking of what to do. And I just didn't feel I could hold a show on my own. I actually tried a few shows on my own. The first show I actually put out was one on my own just because I wanted to make sure everything was working right. But I realized early on that my wife wasn't going to help me. And uh, I needed to have guests. That was going to be the format I needed to go. And I'm a big fan of the Inside the Actor studio. And I said, now I want to try to see if I can mix Inside the Actor studio into podcasting, and hence my show.
0: Now, at the time, you were working full-time with another job, correct?
1: Yeah, I was VP of sales and marketing for a electronics manufacturing company, a 75-year-old company, making a very good income, as <laughs> my wife would tell you. <laughs> But that is not the case now. No, as of April 1st, uh, no joke on that, I had left that company and have been podcasting full-time ever since. And the sad thing was I met with my accountant last week, and we went over what I put into doing podcasting full-time this past year and what I made from it. And it was a factor of 15 to 1, 15 times more what I spent than what I brought in.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, we'll we'll come back to that, but I want to go back to a little bit more of the journey that brought you to that point. Who was your first interview? Was it Chris? You said the first show was first just on your own.
1: What happened was I sent out emails to seven people that I said maybe I'll get one or two of these people to reply, and of the seven, six replied said, "Yeah, I'll come on the show." And, and it was really it was like, "Hey, you know, I'm just nobody that's getting ready to start this podcast where I'm going to interview other podcasters, and I kind of think of like kind of inside the actor's studio, and I'd really like you to come on the show." and you know, I actually went back and looked at the email recently and it was really like almost begging them to come on the show. And I was surprised six of the seven replied like right away saying, yeah, I'll come on. And five of them actually did come on.
0: So when you first started, what was your goal in terms of what did you want the show to accomplish?
1: Actually, the goal hasn't really changed, which is surprising. The goal has always been to teach the art of podcasting from the perspective of the podcaster, from people that have done it and are doing it, maybe they just started, maybe they've been doing it for a long time, but to teach people that are listening a little bit about A, what their show is about, and B, how they're doing their craft, you know, technically and from the art point of view. And also, obviously, to try to entertain a little bit, I don't want to put people to sleep when they're driving their car and listening to the show, which is why I keep the shows under 25 minutes, because I think if it gets too long an interview, I know it puts me to sleep.
0: You said you're not targeting specifically someone who's just getting into podcasting. It really runs the gamut from beginner to more experienced podcaster.
1: I like to mix it up because I think people that are just getting in, you need to keep talking with them to find out what problems they're having. So I try to keep it where people have had done at least five to ten shows because I don't want to have a lot of pod faders. I think if you make it past your fifth, eighth show, actually I think I tell people now eighth show, so that way we schedule the interview, they'll have ten shows up it's less likely that they're going to pod fade. I mean, I've had a hundred and, uh, I think just I put a 111th show up, and of those 111 shows, I have only have six or seven people that have podfaded.
0: Okay, now explain podfade, because that's a term that you came up with, correct?
1: No, um, Scott Fletcher from PodCheck Review came up with the phrase podfade, which is ironic because we keep accusing him of pod fading because he, he releases so infrequently lately. So, go ahead and explain the term for us. Pod fade is uh, a podcaster that does a show and then just stops doing the show. Think of all the blogs that are out there that people do a day, a week, a month, and then never do it again. Uh, they just kind of fade away. So, pod fade.
0: Have you gone back and talked to any of the shows that have faded?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and I interviewed quite a few of the people that have pod faded that I had interviewed and asked them why and it was really interesting to hear the reasons it was a diverse reasoning from people running out of time to people that just no longer were interested in doing it they got new hobbies new interests to uh one guy who moved from the UK to the United States and he's starting college in the United States for him I can understand (laughs) Mm. yeah definitely (laughs) he actually said that he listens to podcasts all the time still and would like to do it again in the future but with going to school right now he's just he's just in over his head right have you put any of those interviews into a podcast format no i i haven't uh, because they were all email conversations
0: you know it would seem to me that for a lot of people burnout is probably going to be especially if they're trying to do a show more frequently is going to be probably one of the The most common themes, you know, amongst podcasters, especially now that we've had a year of podcasting and people are getting to the point where they've been doing their shows for a reasonable amount of time if they got into it early, I would expect to see some
1: people just starting to burn out on it. I actually had someone send me an email the other day that told me they were thinking about stopping to podcast because they only had a thousand subscribers to their show. Wow. And I said, whoa, you got quite a few subscribers. He's like, well, I keep hearing people talk about 10,000 and 100,000 listeners. And I go, yeah, they're lying. Yeah, <laughs> Or they're NPR. I go, if you have 1,000 subscribers, you're doing well. Forget what you might read in the paper or might read uh, out of announcements from certain networks. Most podcasts don't have that number of subscribers.
0: Somebody posted in uh, Podcast Alley the other day kind of a breakdown of, well, how do you know how well your podcast is doing? And I thought it was a fairly good breakdown based on the number of listeners that you have. You know, zero to 100, you're just getting started. 100 to 1,000, you're doing you know reasonably well. You're building up your audience. 1,000 to 10,000, you're doing well. And then 10,000 above, you've somehow managed to hit a mass audience at this point, and you're doing really well. And you're at a point where, you know, if you're looking to get into the financial side of things then that's the point where you you can really consider doing so and have some success at it you can do it with smaller audiences if you have a really targeted niche market but a thousand and above is the point where you can go okay now i'm really starting to reach out
1: yeah and i actually would say the number is 500 i think a thousand is high i think if you have more than 500 subscribers you've broken through one of the key hurdles, because most people, I believe, have under 250 subscribers. The vast, vast majority of the, quote, 27,000 podcast feeds, according to FeedBurner, have well under 250 subscribers.
0: Yeah, I I think you're probably right.
1: Um, I think once you get above 100, you've broken away from family and friends. Definitely. And I think when you get above 250 and you get up to 500, now you've clearly broken away from any social networking, and now you're bringing in strangers. And yeah so I think above five hundred you 've done something right and and you should be happy and not complacent. you should be happy <laughs> right
0: now let 's backtrack just a little bit to the fifteen times investment in your equipment <laughs> over your <laughs> income oh, we 'll talk about yeah. we 'll talk about the equipment first. What are you currently using as far as for doing your podcast?
1: well, okay, my computer now. I probably spent a little bit more on my computer than most people would spend. Eventually, I wanted to do some video. So I went out and got a G5 dual 2.7 gig with 8 gig of RAM and 400 gig hard drive and a 30-inch cinema display. Wow. So, yeah, the computer's a little pimped. On the recording end of it, though, I'm using a $165 one gig iRiver, where I'm doing most of my recording for the interview sides. I have an M-Audio mobile pre-USB preamp that my uh, Apex 415 condenser mic is plugged into. That mobile preamp is connected via USB to my G5, and that's what you're hearing me on via Skype. Mm -hmm. And then I also break out the audio out of the back of the mobile pre and bring that into a mixer. And when I'm doing the interviews, I'm taking my audio from the mobile pre into the mixer in channel 1, and I'm taking the person I'm interviewing out of the computer via the 8th-inch line out, and I'm bringing that into channel 2, of the mixer, and then I'm mixing them together, and I'm recording on the iRiver, and and now I'm splitting it, and I'm recording in stereo, and I'm panning me all the way to the left and the person I'm interviewing all the way to the right, after I think I've matched up the sound. So this way, in case I don't have a match quite right, I can go ahead and just bring it into GarageBand, is how I'm doing it now, and I just duplicate the track, and I pan one all the way left, one all the way right. I then match the volume levels up, and then I export it as an AIFF, and then I bring it back in and do my editing.
0: Okay, so you're not doing any kind of processing as far as compression or gating or anything like that?
1: You know, I don't do any compression. The only compression I do is post-production, and I do use the AU peak limiter in GarageBand. And that's the only compression I'm doing, and I just try to get everything matched up from the interview to the recording that I do for my intro and outro, which I do right into GarageBand, plus the promo I play and a tech tip I'll play. But I found that by just matching up the volume levels right ahead of time, I don't really need to do the compression. I haven't had complaints on it, and a lot of my listeners complain quickly right. when something's not right. So well,
0: that's You know <laughs> what? That's good. I mean, I was talking to Phil Coyne, who I know you know as well. <laughs> And he was saying that he gets a lot of, of feedback from his listeners too, and a lot of people complain that they don't—they really don't hear back from their listeners. So
1: I would rather have negative feedback than no feedback. So absolutely, I love any feedback. So I'm not complaining. And and everybody I've interviewed, I think one of the questions I ask, one of my standard questions, is, "What is your favorite feedback that you've received?" And people that haven't had any, they're like, oh, take anything.
0: Right, then let me go ahead and ask you the question, what's the favorite piece of feedback that you've received?
1: I think by far, and I've got it from a few different people, is I've got my podcast up, thank you so much from the help and the advice from you and, and your guests made it possible. And that's my favorite feedback and I've gotten that from quite a few people uh when i hear someone that says they were able to get their podcast running because of listening to the show and the advice that i said or someone on my show said that was what the show was there for so you know it's like you know achieved goal and i always try to send back a, a reply and say thank you that's the best feedback i could ever get
0: that's great now obviously all of the interviews you're doing or at least most of them are not in person correct
1: i've done one interview in person okay and that's a local kansas city person and i think i'm going to do another one here shortly but yeah every other interview has been uh, skype to skype or skype out
0: okay now that was what i wanted to ask you so you're not doing standard telephone interviews you're taking advantage of skype for yeah,
1: that you'll never get as good a sound quality when you have the telephone System, the POT system involved because of the bandwidth limitations on how the phone system works. You've got the four kilohertz or eight kilohertz bandwidth, whatever it is. So you're always going to have a tin can sound to somebody's voice when they're on the phone. And even if you went out and bought a Telos or even a Blue Box for $2,800 the other person you're talking to is still going to be on a regular telephone and you're going to be limited to their handset limitations. So, Well, what's your experience been then as far as doing Skype out? Again, you're going to have that limitation of how they're going to sound on their phone. And you know, I did a few of my interviews have been Skype out. I'm going to do one coming up this week. It'll be Skype out. But with Skype out, it's still better than with a Telos box, in my opinion. I would say to someone who's looking at, at one of these boxes, they're going to spend seven, dollars $800 on, on a box to do telephone calls. You know what? Two cents a minute, you can get a lot of Skype out minutes. And if you're already set up to do Skype to Skype, you've got it. You know, I was thinking, I really was thinking of getting a telos box. And I just, at the end of the day, I decided, you know what? It was just, how many interviews am I going to do that way? And then I calculated how many minutes that would be. And went, wow, uh, I'm going to save my money. And I'm still on my first $25 of Skype. I haven't even gone through that yet.
0: Why Skype over a double-ender? And for those listeners who don't know what a double-ender is, a double-ender is... Uh, the way actually we've recorded this interview, where both sides of the party record using a mic and to a regular recorder, and then the interviewee sends a copy of that recording over to the person doing the interview to mix in with their side of the conversation.
1: The reason I decided against a double ender early on, and I knew that was a po- you know I knew I was talking to people that I could do double enders with most of the time because I'm lucky I'm talking to other podcasters. But when you're interviewing people that aren't other podcasters or are just, you know, like, I want to be able to interview the CEO of PodTrack. I want to be able to interview Joe Hayashi at Yahoo. I'm not going to be able to get them to record their half of the conversation. So I knew I needed to figure out a way to do it on my end so it sounded good without relying on a double ender. And then trying to get the recording from someone when they do the double ender can be, you know, you're really relying on them. If there's going to be a technical glitch, I want it to be on my end so I can blame myself. Right. Let me say this. There's a lot of ways to record the interviews, and there's no perfect way. I'm not saying mine's perfect. It's just the way I do mine, to me, is what i found works best. I know there's a lot of people that use Hot Recorder or use Audio Hijack Pro, and I have Audio Hijack Pro. I just didn't like it. I liked the ability, because everyone I talk to, and I talk to so many different people, their volume levels are so all over the place that I like to be able to sit here and twiddle with the knobs and look on the meter on my mixer and see, hey, I'm hitting minus six, minus three on my peak, they're hitting minus six, minus three on their peak. You felt more in control, and the fact that I was recording on the iRiver, I didn't have to worry about the computer locking up or a glitch, and it took away overhead away from the computer to make the Skype call sound even better.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that makes a lot of sense. All right, now we're going to come to the scarier part of that flip side of the 15 to 1 ratio. (laughs) (laughs) Now, everybody's out there right now saying, you know, I want to quit my day job. You did, Mm -hmm. but so far
1: it's still a struggle.
0: So... You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: You know, I made the decision early on I would never have advertising on my show. I would not take sponsorship, nor would I even take donations. So, any revenue I've generated this past year has been from producing podcasts for other people or consulting with other people. I'm on retainer, a couple people have me on a monthly retainer. And I saw where I was going to make my money doing this was helping produce people. I, I never thought I would make money from selling advertising on the show or on my website. I know a lot of people think that's that's the way to go and you know what some people are gonna make money on that but I truly believe that only five percent will ever more than break even with advertising on their show just because there's such a huge number of podcasts and most people will never even think of putting advertisements on their shows
0: right and like you said the vast majority of podcasts have a limited number of listeners and advertisers <laughs> just aren't gonna pay that much money for 100 listeners
1: yeah even if you got Fifty dollars per thousand downloads, or say you get two hundred dollars per thousand downloads. If you only have a hundred downloads, guess what? You only got twenty dollars. Yeah. And you got to release a show, maybe five or six shows a day to start making money. Yeah. If you're English as a second language and you've got ten thousand confirmed listeners, and you have a very niche show that's going to get a higher dollar CPM, then maybe you'll make some money on it. But I think the fact is, if you're a tech show or a comedy show, you're going to be very hard-pressed to make money because there's so many tech and, and comedy shows.
0: Right. So do you see this business model as far as not going towards the advertising but instead looking at it as a service-oriented business model? Do you see that based on where you've built it up to so far and the prospects for
1: the future as having the potential to be successful? Oh, well, if it's not, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> because I came out of the corporate world, and I honestly believe that podcasting on the corporate world Many companies are going to see a podcast integrated into their online presence, just as important as the website itself. So I see a lot of businesses going towards podcasting, but just like the websites, most companies don't do their own websites to go out to people to do the websites. I think a lot of people are going to go out to podcasters to produce the podcast for them.
0: So establishing yourself now as being the person to go to is going to be useful down the line.
1: Yeah, and it's also going to be local. I mean, you're going to have to look around to local companies because a lot of times people in that business are going to want to be part of the show. So your job many times for recording a podcast for someone isn't where you do the whole thing. They give you a script and you read it. It's They come over to your house, your basement, or you go over to their business with your equipment. You sit down and you record them talking about what they want to talk about. They're going to look to you for advice. They're going to look for you to get a hosting service. They're going to look for you to encode it, put the ID3 tags on it. That, to me, I think, if you've got the time and the energy is where you'll, you'll make money. Right. You, you can make 200 $400, 600 $800 producing a show for somebody a week. You have to have a lot of listeners to make that same type of money. And businesses aren't doing the podcast to generate revenue directly. They're doing it many times to build a brand to get a message out, to drive traffic. If you're an author and you have a book, you should have a podcast. If you're a band and you've got a CD, you should have a podcast. The Reverse Engineers podcast, to me, is the perfect model for a band. The first podcast, they introduced a quick snippet of all the different songs on the CD. Then they did one podcast after another where they talked about each song and how they developed that song. They played the song. They talked about what they were thinking when they were writing it, the influences. And then after that, or actually during and after that, they mix in tour dates and behind the scenes while they're doing concerts and things like that. So get with some of the local bands. You can help out a local band.
0: Right. Now, you've done, you said, I'm sorry, was it 111
1: shows? I think I just put up show 111.
0: Out of those 111 shows, you've obviously, for yourself, probably learned quite a bit. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Part of the education process was to educate me. I mean, a year and a half ago, I didn't ever even did a blog. So what
0: would you say are some of the key things that you've learned as a result of doing the show?
1: You know, the best advice, and it's one that I actually kind of did, but didn't even think about it, came out when I interviewed PK and Jay and Paul said was, no, don't pimp your show until you have five shows out, especially if you've never podcasted before. Because the first few shows, all you're worried about are the wrong things. You're worried about, did the show record? Did Did the RSS feed work? And what's my audio quality sound like? And you're not even thinking about content yet. It's not until you actually get past the nervousness and the the other things and listening to your shows is is the other great advice. You know, P.W. Fenton said that. Listen to your show. Too many people record post. They never listen. There was a perfect example. I listened to this one podcast and it was four teenagers talking and they did a quad ender. So each one recorded their own piece. Mm -hmm. Well, when they started editing it, they all time shifted and got out of sync. So literally one person was answering the question and then the other person was asking it You know, and I said to him, "Guys, you got to listen to what you're doing, because uh, you would never have released that if you had listened to it." Right. And I won't give their name. Okay. He knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually he said, "You know what? I had someone else edit it for me, and I'll never do that again either."
0: Yeah. Sometimes you just really got to be a control freak. Yeah.
1: So the two pieces of advice: wait until you have at least five shows done before you tell the world, because you only get one chance to make a first impression. And the other piece is listen to your show, because by listening, you're going to get that feedback that you need to improve your show. Because if you do 20 shows and you never listen to any of them, you might not get better.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. Unless you have those negative feedback people willing to, to email <laughs> you and let you know what you're doing wrong.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, your first few people that listen to your show are friends and family, and you probably had to subscribe them on their computer to your show.
0: I, I've joked in the past the fact that friends and family will never give you positive feedback on your show. I don't think I've heard from anybody who's, who's gotten positive feedback from friends and family on their podcasts.
1: The best feedback I've gotten from friends or family was my mom calling up screaming, you guys are going to try to have a kid? Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> because I had mentioned on the show we were going to start trying to have a child. And I thought my wife had told my mother. And my wife had thought I had told my mother. And she found out from the show. Instead. That's funny. That's very funny.
0: Now, you just mentioned two things that you've learned. You've obviously learned a lot more than that, and you are in the process of writing
1: a lot of those things down. Can you talk a little bit about the book? I am co-authoring a book called Tricks of the Podcast Masters with Mer Lafferty from Geek GeekFu Action Grip. And what we're doing in the book is we're talking more about the art of podcasting. It's not so much how do you hook up your mixer and how do you create an RSS feed. It's more about why is editing important, here's some examples of some music podcasts, and here's why their format worked, and here's some advice, and here's places to go and find content for the show, and and things that deal more with what we call the king, the content of the show, from that end of it. And we're taking a lot of advice, you know, advice that people have about interviews. At the end of my show, I always ask, what advice do you have? So a lot of those pieces of advice people gave are going to work their way into the book, and... Pretty much anything else I can get and steal from other people will make its way into the book, too. Murr will be the first female author of a podcast book, so that's definitely give it a different perspective. Now, how far through the book are you at this point? We're due to finish writing on February 28th. And does the book have a scheduled pub date? I believe it's June is a published date, and you know, hopefully it'll be a little sooner. We'll see. Um, the goal is definitely to be finished with it by April 1st because my baby or son is due on April
0: 5th. Oh, yeah. You're definitely going to want to be finished by
1: then. Yeah. So uh, we are definitely under a biological timeline here.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it'll be good. It'll be... I'm really interested to see how it reads, especially having two writers, first of all, having the two genders contributing. I think it'll be a really nice balance if you guys do it well, and I'm assuming you will. And uh, certainly the content... And the angle that the book is coming from will be a welcome addition to what's already out there.
1: And things that we're going to also add in the book beyond just the content is also how to promote the show. So it's really coming after three avenues. One is helping improve the content. Two is helping how do you promote your show? How do you go out there and grill a market and market outside of the podcasting world and inside the podcasting world? And then finally, if you decide that you want to monetize your podcast How do you do that? And some business models if you're coming at it from a small business perspective and if you're coming at it from a podcaster's perspective.
0: Right. Well, good.
1: And we'll be talking to a lot of different people. I've got interviews with GarageBand.com coming up here for the book and um, PodTrack for the book, and we'll talk to some of the other networks that are out there.
0: Well, you know that I certainly wish you guys both well with the book and well with the, the new addition to the family and well with the business side of the podcasting as well. You definitely got your plate full.
1: It's fun. I love podcasting, so it's it's a great way to use up all my time.
0: Well, Rob, I really appreciate, again, the time.
1: Well, I Again, I'm honored to be on your 25th show, and I'm also honored that my poor audio quality early on inspired you to continue and do this show. <laughs> Me too. And
0: I'm glad that that's changed and that your show now sounds as as great as it does.
1: Nothing was more frustrating for the first 39 shows than trying to get that audio quality right. But what was really was amazing was that I had listeners that held up through that period of time.
0: They did. I mean, I think that says a lot to
1: you. And that's what kept me going. It really did. All right. Well, I think that
0: wraps things up. And like I said, again, I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to hearing the
1: finished and edited interview. So my Good luck, and I'm sorry for all the edit points you're going to have in here.
0: Definitely something only a podcaster would worry about. I'd like to thank Rob again for taking the time for this interview and for his patience and my putting it together, and remind you again that you can find Podcast 411 at podcast411.com. And that wraps it up for the 25th edition of Behind the Scenes. Just a reminder that you can find the behind-the-scenes website at btscast.com. That's B is in behind, T is in the, and S is in scenes, cast.com. You can reach me at craig at godcast.org, C-R-A-I-G at G-O-D-C-A-S-T dot O-R-G. And I welcome any of your feedback, positive or negative, as long as it's constructive, as well as audio comments at that email address. And with that, this is Craig Patchett, and until next time, God bless.